a choice right now between fear and love. Experiencing reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. Today on the show, and that beautiful music that you're hearing in the background there, is Matthew Cosell. He is a cosmic throat singer and a sonic alchemist, which is amazing. That's such a cool title. Uh, He uh, specializes in sound healing and medicine music as well. Now, all the ways, of course, to find him will be linked in the show notes, guys. We just hear about his amazing journey through music, uh, what he's doing with music now, his uh, trip through Peru, and how it was the inspiration for the song you guys will actually be played at the end of the episode. So I'm going to tack that on at the end so you can hear the full song with his permission. Uh, And then all the ways, like I said, to find him, his YouTube, his websites will be linked in the show notes below. You guys, an amazing guy, one of the coolest people I've ever talked to. He's got such a great outlook on life. He's just sweet and warm, and we have a wonderful conversation. Getting to hear his story was a true honor. So thank you all so much. Uh, Enjoy the episode, and we'll uh, talk to you after that. So without further ado, Matthew Cosell. Welcoming to the show, it's Matthew Cosell, and we are grateful to have him here with us. Matthew, how are you today? I'm brilliant. Really glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course, man. Oh, pleasure's all right here, man. Uh, we actually got connected through a mutual friend of ours who I've known for, God, man, uh, well over at least a decade and a half. And um, Ellis contacted me, and he said, uh, I know a guy. He'd be great for your show. He's fascinating and he did not disappoint so thank you buddy for setting that up so i uh, please uh, for my audience that doesn't know you um that brilliant and part of that intro song that we just heard is your music man and i will be playing the full version of another song of yours at the end of this as well as be linking to all the ways that folks can find you so if you don't mind uh sir just tell the tell the folks out there um, a little bit about yourself man well um i'm here to share music that uh gives people a direct experience of the oneness of all things. And uh, it's been an amazing journey to get here. Um, Started out as a rocker in my younger days and uh, what a long, strange trip it's been. (laughs) But uh, I'm very grateful to have found this mode of expression that um, I think literally opens portals to give people uh, an experience a new awareness or just uh, takes away the barriers in our perception of reality. So cool. And it's, yeah. it's unbelievable, man. Your music is so awesome. Now I didn't know much about throat singing before I uh, talked, before I looked you up and then you sent me some music and I was just blown away by it. I played some for my, uh, my wife and my friend and both of them were just blown away, man. Uh, it's just so damn cool. And the way you incorporate the Tibetan singing bowls and then 
everything about it, man, it's just such, it does, it, it makes you feel differently and it's incredible. Now it's, it's also awesome that you, you started with a more traditional, I'll put traditional cause that's subjective, uh, a traditional music background with this as well. And yeah, your band, uh, none of the above, I saw your cover of war pigs on your, um, on your, uh, Instagram there, which I'll link to in the show notes. And it was awesome, dude, you, you're a badass man in any genre of music that you play. So what, at, let's, let's begin at the beginning, man. What got you interested in music to begin with? Yeah, well, I wasn't an especially talented kid. I was definitely not a prodigy by any means, but uh, I was always attracted to music. I uh, remember seeing little uh, movies that my parents take took of me dancing to the Beatles when I was like four years old, and just you know, the music was moving me. And uh, as a teenager, I was quite uh, oh, disenfranchised, let's say, from my family and. Uh, didn't feel like I belonged, you know, in that most uh, fundamental sense in, in the world. And um, growing into my teen years, uh, it was a really hard time for me. And music was one of the few things that really spoke to me and gave me a feeling of, uh, you know, something that made sense and made me feel, you know, gave me, it sparked my emotions and it helped me feel strong and, and loving and connected. And there were certain groups, one group in particular, um, Yes, was uh, a major influence for me. Um, and I was really into like, <clears throat> I'm going to date myself here, but I, I grew up listening to like Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix. Boston, hell yeah. Yeah, I yeah. Boston, you know, I, I, I still love to listen to this music, <clears throat> but Yes was like something from a higher dimension. And it took me to this place that, uh, helps uh, me resolve, I think, um, you know, that quest for connection to spirit. Because uh, I wasn't uh, satisfied or, you know, being fed by the religious path that my family uh, exposed me to. And in fact, I had rejected it, uh, you know, as, an, as a teenager in my rebel years and kind of threw out the baby with the bathwater. I didn't have anything to uh, replace that with. So, um, you know, the music was like my lifeline. And um, so as I, you know, when I was about 18 years old, you know, everyone's asking me, what are you going to do with your life? And, and, and my days we were expected to go to college, you know, if you're going to be an achiever and, and go get a degree and have a get set for life and some corporate job. And, and uh, that didn't really resonate with me at all. And, um, I had played different instruments growing up, starting with piano uh, at a young age, uh, second and third grade. And then I took um, trumpets and band class for a few years and that didn't work for me. So I picked up guitar when I was in high school and started singing along with acoustic guitar. And, you know, I was really inspired also by people that I would see at parties or in small gatherings where someone had a guitar and they could just make music. I'm like, it felt so magical that I knew I wanted to be able to do that at least. Yeah. And there are dozens uh, of college kids across the country that think that that's still cool. And the, Hey there, Delilah is not the way you get laid guys. Just come up with your own shit. Okay. We're done with it. They're like, right. Good oh. advice. <laughs> yeah. If I could just pepper that into the conversation, man, we're, we're over it guys. We get it. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, so I just decided, uh, okay, I'm going to go to university and study music so I can get better at this and uh, find my way to being a professional musician. 
And um, uh, when I was about 18 years old, I formed my first band. And uh, about a year later, I switched my main instrument from guitar to bass. I think uh, it's because we needed a bass player. I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. I think I could do that. Uh, <laughs> That's usually <laughs> so the way that works out. Yeah. 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 And I really kind of liked, or I really enjoyed holding that space within the group between you know, occupying that space between the drums and the guitar and the melodies and finding a way to pull it all together through what I was doing. And I was singing as well. So um, in my second year of university that's when i switched to bass guitar and um, also in that second year i was living off campus uh, back with my parents in their home because my father was in the process of dying from cancer and i wanted to be close to him during that time um, and it was that was a very um, really critical time of healing for me and healing my relationship with him because it was uh, you know not good for most of my memories that i have growing up um and i was reading the biography of Jimi hendrix uh, it's called voodoo child of the aquarian age and um, i was commuting with my friend and bandmate who's also a classmate at university and uh what he was driving one day and i took the book out it was about an hour drive to school and i started reading about uh, a song i had never heard before little did i know I didn't notice that my friend put a tape in the deck at the time, um, and the album was uh, Cry of Love by Jimi Hendrix. I think it was uh, released posthumously. And uh, so I'm reading about this song that I had never heard before, and they had the lyrics to it. The song's called Belly Button Window. And I started reading the lyrics, and I got a few lines in, and it dawned on me that Jimi was singing those very words on the stereo. Damn. As I was reading them, yeah, it could not have been more perfectly timed. So cool. Okay. Yeah. And I'd like, you know, it's like the Matrix. Yes. <laughs> like, well, those synchronicities what? like that, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm getting chills, you know, I'm like, you know, okay. So I took a vow that day because <laughs> I figured this is a sign, whether it's from Jimmy or God or the universe, whatever it is, you know something someone's talking to me and i said okay whatever it takes i'm gonna do this i'm in and so i'm living in colorado um at that time going to school in pueblo colorado uh living in colorado springs and the nearest big city was denver well after my father passed uh, i finished that year of um, school and then i quit and moved to denver with the invitation to join a working rock band and back in those days, uh, most of the nightclubs uh, had live music. And you could go out to bars all over the land, you know, whether it's in a big city or out in, in farm country, you could find um, bars or nightclubs that had bands. And so this is a cover band. We're playing popular music at the time. And, uh, you know, I was the youngest in this group and I hooked up with some, you know, keen uh, seasoned veterans and including the drummer who had actually I'd seen play in the best cover band I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, and, uh, but he's also, you know, there's a reason why he hadn't gone on to make it to a 
big time, as we called it, because uh, he had a problem with alcoholism. So, um, yeah, I learned a lot of hard lessons during those uh, years of playing in cover bands. And uh, I mean, there was one time when my band like literally broke out in a fist fight between members on stage in a packed house in, a, in McCook, Nebraska. Were you guys <laughs> playing an Oasis song? I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, it's a joke. Were y'all playing an Oasis oh. song because they fight oh. a lot? Yeah. Oh no, <laughs> it was before Oasis, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, remember the song though. Mama let that play. Mama let that boy play some rock and roll. I think they the, did uh, not let them play rock and roll. They, that was, <laughs> it was counter to the message of the music. What happened? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's how crazy it got, and. Uh, Anyway, after a couple of years, I, I had the realization that, okay, it's been good to get out here and get some experience and, you know, as a performer and got over my stage jitters early on and, and you know, felt solid, but playing other people's music isn't going to get me where I want to go. So I started forming original music projects. And um, so I hooked up with one of my uh, former bandmates who I'd been uh, getting together with and writing songs and we formed our first original music um, band which was a power trio tommy was like this master of the stratocaster this this guy could play any hendrix jeff beck johnny winter you know stevie ray vaughn style he could like tear that stuff up and own it you know and and he's a good songwriter too and we had a good uh, relationship as as co-writers and and um, it worked and uh, but you know here we are we're in Denver, Colorado, which is not a music mecca. It's more of a sports city, still to this day, I think. And uh, in those days, this is way before internet, so you needed to have a record deal, you know, with a major label if you're going to get noticed, uh, you know, and get out of the bars. You know, that's that's what needed to happen. And we didn't have the means to transplant ourselves to L.A. or New York or austin or nashville or anywhere you know that would get us anywhere so we just played around the bars and you know that band broke up formed another one you know that brand you know play around do good music and um not really get noticed other than whoever we were playing in front of and and that would break up i played in um over a 18 year period i think about 15 bands you slut yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was just too stubborn to quit yeah <laughs> and you know i was like well i made this commitment <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever it takes and uh you know i was like okay i'm just gonna keep doing this because you know what else have i got to go for and um yeah so i'm kind of a misfit in that way i you know i i, I didn't really have anywhere else to turn you know that inspired me other than music and uh in 1993, I formed my last band. It was called, uh, we called ourselves Critical Mass. Now, before anyone goes and looks up Critical Mass, we're not the Critical Mass that formed around that same time in San Francisco, <laughs> which was a ska punk band. Exactly. Yeah. And we're not the other Critical Mass that formed later on in Canada, which was a Christian rock band. <laughs> we were the other Critical Mass in Denver, Colorado, that never got noticed other than in Denver. But uh, man, this band, I still love to listen to the music. We, and we had a relationship between us. We were truly good friends. And I, I, I love these guys to this day. Uh, we were considered them all close friends. We also had a, just a magic about how we um, would create music 
sometimes spontaneously in rehearsal, someone would play a riff and then the whole band would jump in and we would go off on a journey. It was just, oh, God. It's magic. You know. it's magic it man. was magic, yeah. And uh, so, in, uh, I should mention also along the way, while I was trying to support myself while playing in these music, original music projects, which the pay was, you know, absolute crap. If you know, showing up at a bar and and playing on a bill with a few other bands for a, a meager crowd. Been there, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was taking on some pretty crappy jobs to support myself. You know, again, just thinking, okay, it's worth it. It's going to be worth it. Whatever it takes, I'm going to just make this happen. Interestingly, that ended up. Um, I got offered a job um, through some bandmates uh, in the previous band um, that were working at a very high dollar strip club in town that had just opened up. And nice. I, yeah, I got a job there as a bar back who's the guy who's like filling the ice bins and taking out the trash and loading the beer into the bins and stocking the liquor and hustling all over the place. And, um, you know, cash wasn't bad. <laughs> It's actually pretty good. How, how long did that. it take you to work up to center stage from barback? Uh, six months from barback to <laughs> yeah. manager. Oh, okay. I thought center stage like pole, like you were the. No! <laughs> oh, he's glossed it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe losing my earpiece there. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> no. it's like, That's your dream, buddy. You can do it. You can do anything you want, man. That's great. <laughs> there were a couple of special events that they had uh, when they were celebrating their anniversary that uh, I got up on stage and lip synced Robert Palmer, but I, I kept my clothes on. Nice. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, you would have made more money. I don't know. I mean, you go from bar, I, I, bar back to flash dance, you know, in a couple of months. That's pretty good. That's really good. Yeah. It was funny because uh, the owner got in a fight as he was trying to kick out some young guy one night and I ran over and intervened. I don't know what I was thinking. Cause I had at that point hadn't been in a real fight since eighth grade, but, um, had, you know, a few months of martial arts training on me and it, it worked out in my favor. <laughs> yeah. That was a time karate um, kid came out. So you were real confident, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I guess throwing a sidekick scared off some people and <laughs> <laughs> way before MMA. So, you right. know, <laughs> right. uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So he, he made me a manager like boom and okay so now i'm like not hustling around taking out the garbage and loading the beer bins i'm wearing a tux and i got my long hair pulled back in a ponytail doing the steven seagal thing and hell yeah you were i'm like just trying to look the part and then i'm thinking okay so if this there's professional athletes coming in there football players I'm like okay what am i going to do if this guy gets out of line so that motivated me to um dive into martial arts with every, you know, bit of my being to this is self-preservation. And, um, so yeah, that was, um, a benefit for me and it was good for me, but the music was what was really keeping me going. And then when I formed critical mass, I was like, Oh my God, this band has to be it. This is the one that's going to make it. And in August of 1994, I had, uh, you know, by then, I was in my fifth year of managing Mile High Saloon in Denver, Colorado. And yeah, uh, in fact, the uh, owner was from Dallas. Oh, and okay. I think he built the Million Dollar Club or something like that. He was a construction guy. So um, anyway, so uh, I had realized like for about that last year, I was like, okay, I need to get out of this environment. This is like I've 
pass whatever karmic test it is that I needed to do to um, to move on. And uh, this is just going to you know start taking me down if I don't move on. I took my annual vacation, went, took my girlfriend at the time camping in the mountains in South Park, Colorado, the awesome. real South Park. Yeah. And um, we ended up climbing this mountain that she wanted to, she picked out. She wanted to, I want to climb those boulders up there. I'm like, really, there's no trail or anything. I didn't really want to do it. It was steep and bad, you know, not good footing going up. But I was like, okay. I followed her up. We got to the top of this mountain. And these words just came out of me. Like, I, I didn't wasn't thinking about it, but I said, I wonder if there's any crystals around here. And the moment I said that, I turned my head and shining in the sunlight, I found this. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so I went over and picked it up. I was like, wow. Yeah. And I like in that moment, you know, I felt like I was being watched, you know, it was just like, all I can equate it to is like that Jimi Hendrix experience that I had years earlier. It was probably 15 years earlier and like, my God, and there's no other crystals around that I could find. I, you know, looked (laughs) and so something shifted big time when we're driving back to Denver I just started getting depressed thinking about going back into that environment that I didn't want to work in anymore and didn't want to be in anymore. I'm holding this in my hand. I just kept saying, I got to get out of there. I can't do this anymore. Got to get out. I showed up for work the next day. My boss was waiting outside the club with tears in his eyes and my final check in his hand. He said, I'm so sorry. I have to let you go. I can't afford to pay your salary anymore. Boom. And so I was set free. I had no plan, <laughs> but I knew I had to get out of there. And uh, so the one, uh, one respect I was relieved and the other respect is like, holy crap, what am I going to do now? How am I going to pay my rent? And uh, interestingly, that very night, uh, Critical Mass was scheduled to go into a local studio and begin recording a, a demo. We had five nights scheduled. And so we started recording and we recorded a four song demo that I like still listen to in my car on the way to gigs <laughs> and driving around town. I rock out to my critical mass recordings. That's awesome. I'm going to look this up. That is so cool. Yeah. It's not online, but I can, uh, I'll send you a private copy. Send me, send me something. I'd love that. That would yeah, be cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, um, then two months later, critical mass broke up. So it was like the ground had shifted underneath my feet. And, well, it was inevitable. Uh, you guys had just reached a critical mass. So. <laughs> it was prophetic, it's you stupid, know. Matt. Don't 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 uh, encourage that kind of shit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, in my heart, knew this is it. You know, I couldn't do it anymore. I, it was so heartbreaking. You know, especially because of the close bond I felt with my bandmates and the magic of the music. And also I didn't mention, I'd been thinking about, you know, what would I want to, how do I want to live my life? You know, I, I need a more spiritual focus and I want to live a more holistic lifestyle. This, you know, being in bars all the time, it's not healthy for me. And this is before they banned sm- indoor smoking in Colorado. So God, you know, I'd get home from work and I'd smell like crap, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just, and energetically, I was just always having to shield myself and, you know, protect myself energetically in that environment. Um, you know, a lot of guys think, oh, man, it's a strip club right on. Best job in the world. And I was like, man, I was in hell. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, there were some fun parts, you know, but overall, it was a dark place to be in every, you know, day in and day out. And I couldn't take it anymore. So I had to leave. Um, so I knew that I was good with my hands uh, and I had a compassionate heart and I love to like give massage to my family and friends and everyone always raved about how good they felt when I touched them. So um, I was thinking, okay, I'll become a massage therapist. And I've been reading about Reiki and energy healing and that like, really drew me, you know, because um, I was into like the force and grew up watching the Kung Fu TV series and, you know, wanted yeah. to like thought of myself as a mystic. And I'd also, I had to go back in time a little bit, like five years prior to this, when I walked into the a metaphysical store, the very first metaphysical store that I ever set foot in, I also walked into a wall of sound. They were blasting a recording of the Gyoto monks from Tibet. And it's like this order of monks that they do that deep overtone chant. And I didn't even know what a mantra was, but the lady in the store had it blasting on the stereo. <laughs> I'm like, you know, walking into this strange store and I'm like, what is that that we're listening to? She goes, oh, it's Tibetan monks. Well, that like totally hit me because about six months prior to that, in my state of depression and feeling lost, I was going through a low moment. I went searching for something to connect me with my spirit. Went to a local, had gone to a local bookstore and picked up a book called inner power secrets from Tibet and the Orient. Cool like, title. Hmm, yeah. Yeah. This is what I need. And that's where I learned about a chakra was. And I learned about chi and prana and, you know, subtle energy systems and how it's all viewed through the Eastern, Eastern sciences and philosophies. So, yeah. So then like six months later, I hear this sound. She says Tibetan monks. I'm like, what? So I bought the cassette tape because this is like 1989 or so yeah, yeah. and uh, started meditating to it. And uh, yeah, so that, that mystical path was really calling to me. So uh, yeah, after I was unceremoniously dumped from Mile High Saloon and my band broke up and I'm like, okay, I'm starting on a new life now. I put aside music. I put, tucked my bass away and really didn't play music for um, a couple of years other than plunking around a few licks on my acoustic guitar time. And uh, so I started massage therapy school and actually began my practice um, just out of my home <laughs> uh, one, one month into my um, education. So I knew I could do this. And I knew a lot of people, made some calls, and boom, I started having clients right away. And uh, I got my Reiki training and uh, flew through that. And I was taking all the meditation courses that I could find and doing um, guided meditations, light body meditations, learned about the Merkaba, the energy body, light energy and, and physical body meditations, flower of life. And, and uh, I was just like taking it all in. Once I graduated from massage school, I, I had an inspiration. It's like, I need to start holding meditation circles in my home. I can like hold a space for people to connect. And so 
once again, I just like made a few calls, friends came over and I started leading guided meditations. Um, while doing that, um, I saw that people were having like deeper experiences than I even expected. And, uh, <clears throat> I came to understand, um, looking back that actually playing in these crazy bands and some of them were, you know, pretty wild experiences and then working in like an environment like this high dollar strip club. I like to call it a burlesque club because it was kind of a little more fancy. Yeah, it was <laughs> upscale. Yeah. yeah. It was upscale. Anyway, I was actually practicing something that I do now and what they call it holding space. You know, I was like keeping a grounded presence amid amidst chaotic energy. And I was practicing that over and over again in a really challenging environment. So looking back, I'm really grateful for those experiences because I think it totally affects how I, the state I go into when I'm playing music, whether it's for a live audience or, or online, in a, you know, on Zoom, or it goes into the recordings. And um, so anyway, leading these guided meditations, eventually I got to a point where it felt like there were no English language words to express what I was feeling and wanting to transmit to the people in the circle. So I started to own. And with a simple, oh, people told me afterward that they could actually feel energy from my voice moving around them and through them. And they're, you know, experiencing a shift with that. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And um, <laughs> I had been trying to mimic the sound of the Tibetan monks for all this time since I got that tape and, and it was not successful. But when I owned, I was hearing more texture in the voice. And uh, so I started to explore that and just slow down some mantras I had learned and slow down the pronunciation. And I was hearing more tones come out of the voice. And these are called overtones, um, also known as harmonics. And a lot of people ask, what is overtone singing? What's throat singing? It's a way of manipulating sound from your voice, manipulating the sound with your body to emphasize the overtones or harmonics. So what's a harmonic? What's an overtone? If you pluck a single string on a guitar, for example, we recognize the note that it's tuned to. That's the fundamental tone because there's a certain number of pulses coming off that string in per second. That's how we measure it. That's the frequency. That's the Hertz pulse waves per second. Well, those pulses double on themselves and then double again and again and again into infinity. And those multiplications of the fundamental tone are harmonics or overtones. And so by manipulating the shape of my body, my mouth, lips, tongue, throat, and where I place the sound in my body, I'm able to uh, emphasize certain harmonics and overtones. They're more audible to the human ear. They're already there. Everyone has overtones in their voice. You know, just as you're speaking, we just don't notice because we've not learned to listen for them. But um, they're there. And then as you shape it, we bend the sound literally with the body. We can amplify them and it'll sound like more than one voice or more than one note coming out of the, out of the voice at one time. And that's essentially what throat singing and overtone singing is. 
And uh, so I started to learn here about this concept called sound healing and uh, found some books about it. And there's this guy that uh, lives uh, in Boulder, Colorado, named Jonathan Goldman. And he has a ton of albums out. He has been studying this stuff for decades, a bunch of books. I don't even know how many books he has right now, but I picked up one of his books and uh, I saw that he was giving a uh, weekend workshop up in Boulder, which is like a half hour drive from Denver where I was living. So of course I went <clears throat> over the course of that weekend. He didn't teach a whole lot of vocal technique, a lot of, you know, theory and, and information and, you know, listening, but he did at one point demonstrate that deep Tibetan overtone voice. He did one long, oh, and then he said, some people will get this after being around others who do it. And in that moment, I said, that's me. I know it. I'm destined to, you know, I was just like, I got this. Next day, I'm like working it, working it, working it. And all of a sudden it came out, came out of my voice. I'm like, oh my God. And then I did it again. I did it again. I'm like, holy shit, you know, it's happening. So I had uh, Jonathan Goldman's uh, phone number to his office, got on the phone, dotted up, voicemail. So I like left him a voicemail. Ooh. Hey, Jonathan, it works. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard flex, Matthew. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. So that... Um, that's how music started to come back to me through meditation and healing arts and exploring the voice and the overtones. And, uh, it was a slow unfolding, you know, and it, I just started incorporating more sound into the meditations. And, um, in 1999, uh, that summer, I went on a little, uh, trip to Mount Shasta, went to a little retreat there and I met the woman who would be my wife. She'd come down from Vancouver, British Columbia, just across the border in Canada. And uh, we had a uh, long distance relationship for four years. Fortunately for me, I had some clients uh, that worked for the airlines and I could do trade outs, uh, one massage for a buddy pass to get on the airlines. And, you know, pre 9-11, it was pretty easy to get on standby and just, you know, uh, strategically pick when I wanted to fly. And I usually got on the flights that I was aiming for and that made it easy to come up and, and visit. Um, in 2003, we got married and I moved up here. Um, and uh, 2005, I found a guy, a throat singer here in uh, Vancouver who had a group called One Voice Harmonic Choir. And uh, a, a mutual friend gave me his phone number so called that up, got his voicemail. When I do, left a big long boom on his voicemail. And, uh, and that was pretty much my audition. I was uh, inducted into One Voice Harmonic Choir. And uh, so, you know, it, it took me, um, it helped me see that, you know, meditation could also be incorporated into performance. It helped me make that leap from, you know, holding circles where I'm leading guided meditation with sound healing to, okay, this is what we do. And we are going on stage now and performing it. And I really saw the potential and, um, you know, continued my own explorations. It was really great fun to have like a lab because we would, you know, in rehearsals often start with just improv between 
me and three or four other guys, we'd bounce off each other and ideas would flow and come up and, and, um, well, in 2006, my permanent residency still had not been final. I hadn't gotten final approval for my permanent residency in Canada. I'd been in limbo for like three years and I got booted out of Canada. <laughs> How do you get booted out of Canada? How does that happen? Yeah, right. I was not a criminal or anything. They I didn't were do anything very wrong. polite about it. <laughs> yeah, they were. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> or sorry, I should say. Sorry. You know what this is all about. Right. <laughs> so I had to leave. I went back to um, Colorado, started over again, managed to keep them, our marriage alive. And during that time, you know, I did more public presentations, of sound healing, sound healing meditation, you know, or, you know, sound healing circle. And then uh, a friend of mine invited me out to LA to visit. And uh, he took me to a couple of, uh, conscious dances some ecstatic dances and told the djs about me and the djs let me in the middle of their set they like each time there's like on a saturday and a sunday two different djs they handed me the mic they brought all the all the music down to a drone hand me the mic and i started chanting yeah and then afterward people are coming up to me saying you got cds do you have a website where can i get more of this i'm like yeah. it hit me it's like holy crap this is real I'm in freaking LA and these people want more of what I got. I need an album. I need a website. <laughs> what am I doing? So that lit a fire under my ass. I've been thinking about it, you know, and it's like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to manifest recording an album and I'm going to get a website. And uh, <clears throat> so I did. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I found a, a, a friend in denver that was also a big fan of what i was doing I had been to some of my events and um got a good deal on a you know budget recording of my first album and recorded that and this is right before i um was going to move back to vancouver to be with my wife um we had gotten an attorney on our deal and inter interfacing with uh, canada immigration and we thought uh, the way things were moving, I could move back. Well, so we did a road trip up to uh, Canada from Colorado, from Denver in January of 2009. Had this magical journey. There had been really heavy blizzards, like right before we left. And it was like the sky cleared like a day before, you know, all along the way. And the roads were dry for uh, the whole way in January 2009. Synchronicity stuff, man. Yeah. And yeah. it was like... We went back through Mount Shasta, you know, where we met and you know, stayed there for a few days. And you know, it was all magic. Then we get to the border. They wouldn't let me in. No. Politely. <laughs> like, right. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm moving back to Canada. You know, my immigration has been reactivated. And, you know, and they're like, oh, pull over there, please. And, yeah. So after, uh, I was just told, you know, we're not letting you in. And. By the way, if you want to come in for a visit now, you have to show that you have residents in the States, you know, either own or lease and have to have employment. You have to have enough money to cover whatever expenses you could incur while you're here. And I said, well, how much money is that? Well, whatever the agent you're talking to that day decides. And so I'm like, holy crap, you know, I had to spend my savings on my new album <laughs> recording it. And uh, I was counting on getting to Canada and, starting my uh, a new massage therapy practice and you know i was pretty much tapped out so 
basically I'm homeless <laughs> at the border and uh, I'm sitting there in my car. It's at night and I'm like, okay, God, what now? And I got like nothing. <laughs> crickets. That's what. <laughs> yeah. Crickets. You got Canadian crickets. <laughs> Canadian winter crickets. <laughs> so um, I ended up going back to this town called Bellingham, which is about a half hour drive South of the border which I had only known by passing through um, and some of my journeys up to Vancouver. My wife's son came and picked her up at the border. And I got a hotel in Bellingham. And uh, my wife came down the next day, and we just decided, you know, I'm just going to stay here until this all sorts out. I think, you know, I'm going to get accepted. It's only a matter of time. You know, they'll let me into Canada. I'm just going to stay here. Well, I called my mom and let her know. Uh, I thought I should let my mom know. Uh, well, mom, I'm in Bellingham in a hotel. I uh, <laughs> didn't get into Canada. Turns out a friend of hers from Alaska, where I was born, had moved to Canada after her husband died. She said, call, call my friend. You know, she might know someone or have a room for you or something, you know. So I called this lady, no answer, no voicemail. And then my mom said, look in the phone book. I think at least one of her kids lives there. And I found the last name. And this is a, a last name that I always heard growing up because my mom kept in touch with this lady. And they used to send us homemade Christmas gifts every year. And my mom was one of the people who could give you a download of what all these distant relatives and friends I had never remembered what they're all up to, you know, in, in 15 minutes. Oh, so-and-so got married and this one got divorced and they had kids and mom, okay, mom, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know? Well, all of a sudden I, I call so I call up this gentleman, got his voicemail. I didn't do an ohm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was, okay. <laughs> But I said, uh, hey, you know, this is a voice from your very distant past because I was like two and a half when my family left Alaska. And uh, but our parents were friends and my mom gave me, you know, your mom's number. And this is what's going on. I'm, you know, trying to move to Canada, blah, blah, blah. Spill out my story in the one minute version. He calls me back. We chat on my third day in Bellingham. And uh, he says, you know what? I've got a furnished apartment here in town that I got so my siblings could have a place to stay while they're visiting our mom. It's empty for the next um, three weeks. And you could stay there for free while you're looking for your own place. <laughs> Ta-da! Bink. Yeah, so check this out. This is on my third day in Bellingham. Okay. And um, the apartment number that, he, that I ended up staying in for three weeks... <laughs> courtesy of uh, Tom, uh, was apartment 201. So two plus one, that's a three. Yeah. So there for three weeks. When I got my own apartment, it was apartment number three. I'm the third child in my family, in my nuclear family. Our parents, Tom and I, our parents met through the daughter of one of my grandmother's best friends. My grandmother, my mom's mom, this connection, had died in my third year of being alive. And so she reaches through the spiral of time and scores me an apartment in my time of need. My, you know, the, her daughter's third, oh, and it's through three generations. You know, because it's her best friend's daughter introduced my parents and Tom's parents. Yeah. So he and I are like the third generation of this relationship, of this friendship. 
Well, when I finally got to move to Canada, my social insurance number, if you do the numerology on it, which is, you know, social insurance, just like social security comes to a three, the numerology on my license plate came to a three. So to Sam, oh, and uh, before I left Denver, I met a lady there that said, oh, you're going to back to Vancouver. You have to check out Bellingham. It's magic there. And she gave me three contacts in Bellingham. So I pulled those out in my first week. And two were people that um, welcomed me like family into their homes and had me over for dinner and, you know, gave me tips on where to go in town and, you know, it's beautiful. And then the third was a store called Wise Awakening. And it's a metaphysical store where they really emphasize sound healing and they really promote sound healing. And they had this incredible sound healing chamber, this like sacred geometry chamber that you could lie down on a table that had speakers underneath it and speakers over it. And they did sound healing with recorded music in it. I'm like, whoa, yeah, cool. I got to go here and I've got a new album, you know? So I looked up, I saw the owner's name and picture on the website. I'm like, Diana, I'm going to meet you, Diana. Well, <clears throat> in, in my first full week in Bellingham, uh, I believe that the day was January 21st to one. <laughs> I just got this hit. It's like, today's the day I have to go to Wise Awakening. And I'm like, there's going to be gatekeepers. I know it, I, but I got to find a way to talk to Diana and share my music with her. Well, I puttered around for early in the day. And then the afternoon, I just got this hit. Go now, go now. I'm like, okay. So I threw my instruments in the trunk of my car, drove down there, walk in the store. There's one per one customer there. And lo and behold, there's Diana behind the counter. Hi, can I help you? I'm like, hi, you're Diana. And I'm like, she goes, yes. Yeah. So I'm like, my name is Matthew Cosell. I'm a throat singer and sound healer. I came here to meet you. And she says, oh, and, and then right that moment, these two guys walk in, kind of in a huff, these two guys, the, the, like the energy shifted. And um, now I just want to preface this. I'm not knocking anyone's religion, but these guys were like whack. Okay. So she goes over and says, excuse me, I just need to help these guys. So, hi, can I help you? And he's like, yes, yeah, so we're Christians. And we want to know by what name do you call your God? Yeah. Yeah. Shitheads. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so Diana's trying to respond as lovingly as possible. And this guy was just there to, to confront. And there had been watching some crazy videos on YouTube and convinced that this was a place that is promoting false religion and worshiping crystals and, you know, false gods. And, and they're like ready to like throw down, you know? Yeah. And so, so I'm, I'm witnessing this and, you know, Diana is being loving and this guy's just like bullying her energetically and verbally. And so I stepped in, I'm like, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I can speak Bible too, buddy, you know? So, so I tried to engage him on that level, <clears throat> which only inflamed him more. <clears throat> so I'm like, okay, time for some psychological jujitsu. I said, look, I want to hear what you have to say. Let's go outside and talk. So I go, okay. So I just headed for the door and they followed me out. And we stood out there on the sidewalk in the freezing cold for over an hour. And I just realized I just need to hear this guy out. So I just asked him questions and didn't debate. Let him talk. Then I'd ask more questions. And uh, finally, I, you know, could share a couple of religious jokes that I knew wouldn't offend him. Got them to laugh a little bit. And they both shook my hand, said, God bless you. And they walked away. 
And it was about closing time for the store, but I walked back in and reconnected with my new friend, Diana. And she said, thank you. You know, th this, nothing has ever happened like that in the store before. And she never would work behind the counter. She was always in her back office. And, but she had three employees. One was out sick and two were out of town. So she had to be behind the, the counter that day. The timing could not have been more perfect, you know, other than like Jimi Hendrix singing to me while I'm reading the lyrics in his book. It's these beautiful <laughs> breadcrumbs that the universe leaves for you, man. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So she said, what did you say you do again? I said, well, I'm a throat singer and then do the sound healing music. And I'd love, to, I just was wondering if I could maybe share it with you personally. And she said, yeah, you know, I'm busy this week, schedule an appointment. So I did. And when I came back the following week, played for her for about 30 minutes <laughs> and, uh, she came out of it with tears in her eyes. She said, we have got to help you share this music with the world, get this music out to the world. So um, they had a little theater attached to the back of the store. And on the spring equinox that year, March 21st, I was like the, I was like the headline act. <laughs> they had me on stage and people coming in. And that was like my inter musical introduction to Bellingham one of the musical introductions well so going back to the day that this confrontation happened and this you know synchronicity happened at the store um <clears throat> that evening there is a tuvan a female group of tuvan throat singers playing a concert at the local historic theater in bellingham so i had to go you had to go yeah, and I just had some rough draft copies of my CD printed up. I didn't have the artwork on it yet, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to connect with some Tuvans, you know, and they'll dig my my music. <laughs> I'll take it, and uh, I'll give them my CD, and who knows what will happen, you know. So I had put two copies in my pocket. Uh, during intermission, you know, they had a merch table out in the lobby, and I saw, you know, an American-looking guy and an Asian guy. I'm like, okay, that guy's got to be a Tuvan. I'm going to go talk to him. And so I did, and I, you know, we were chatting him up, and I said, hey, are you a throat singer? He goes, yeah. And I go, me too. I do kagada, which is what they call that deep sound. He goes, oh, he said, let me hear. So I said, oh, and he joined in with me. Oh. We did it together right there at the table. And uh, when our breath ended, we both laughed and shook hands. I said, hey, I have a CD. Can I give it to you? And he said, yeah, sure. I hand him the CD. Immediately, this elder couple steps out of the crowd and says, is that you on that CD? Do you have one for sale? Can we buy it? I'm like, yeah, sold them this CD right there, and and uh, my first CD sale in Bellingham. From behind them steps a native Alaskan woman. She says, "I have an Aleutian dance troupe. We've forgotten how to throat sing. Will you teach us?" So cool. <laughs> yeah, and I said, um, "Yeah, I don't know your music. I don't know your songs, but I'll teach you whatever I know." So when I taught my first throat singing class in Bellingham at Wise Awakening. Becky uh, was there as my guest, the, this native Alaskan woman, and she and Diana, owner of Wise Awakening, they both got that technique that afternoon. That's so cool. They're both going <laughs> a little bit higher range than a man, but I learned at that concert that women could actually do it. It's the first time I heard a woman do that particular vocal technique. And since then, uh, lots of women have gotten it. Not everyone gets the technique right away, and 
some people maybe not at all, but uh, it comes when it when they're ready for it. And uh, I've had people get it in my uh, classes that same day. So yeah, so that was like this magical synchronicity thing when I just like had totally committed to the path of working with sound and music as my main service to the world, you know, to help people make this connection. Long story short, not so short. <laughs> and um, um, I lived in Bellingham uh, in apartment number three <laughs> for eight months. And um, during that time, made a couple of road trips back to Colorado because the work was good and, and I had clients there waiting for me. And um, on the second trip in Colorado, I just ducked into a, uh, a Kinko's to check my email and there's the message from our attorney. Congratulations, you've been accepted to Canada. You can move here and be a permanent resident. And the moment I read that, my phone rang as my wife. Did you check your email? I said, yeah, I just saw him. So it was perfect timing because my lease was ending at the end of that month. And um, August 26, 2009, drove up to the border with my stuff in tow. And the guy stamped my passport shook my hand and said, welcome to Canada. Yeah. And now I'm a permanent resident of Canada. Well, what's cool about your story just in general is number one, it's fascinating. Number two, you're fascinating and wonderful. And number three, uh, it's, it's interesting how many synchronicities your life or divine timing, if you want to put it that way, how that plays a role in not only the decision-making that you have, or actually what happened, it seems like, especially on the, the strip club thing, whenever you lost your job, but you didn't lose it. You asked for to be gone from it. So it released you from it. And it's interesting how the universe can work like that, especially when you make your mind and set things up. And then you just, you trusted the process. Plus you were given signposts along the way that you knew the significance of. So tell, tell you, if you don't mind, just the significance of numerology and the number three and how things reduce down. Cause I don't, I don't know how many folks out there are aware of that and how that works. Well, three is like, you know, you can look at it as the Holy Trinity, mother, father, child. Um, we have, we're on the third planet from the sun <laughs> in the third dimension, um, three trimesters as we're birthed. Um, there's three layers to our skin. There's three sections of the eye. There's threes throughout our anatomy, like the shoulder girdle is three bones. The pelvis is three bones. You know, all these key joints in our bodies are in threes. The, where gravity hits our cranium is the junction of three bones. It is like my wife wrote a song all about the threes in the body and in the universe. It is the more you look for threes, the more you'll find. There's three layers and and um, fascia and yeah, it's just and blind leather, of course. You know, I mean the. <laughs> <laughs> There's a magic number. Yes, it is. Uh -huh. <laughs> Forgot about Three that. Three in the family. Anyway, so. <clears throat> It, uh, no, and it is a significant number because three, even in geometry, that's the lowest amount of sides that you need to enclose a space. So, and then even Tesla goes on, and he was a big proponent of frequencies and things like that as well, to say that if we understood the relationship between three, six, and nine, we would get the entire universe. And of course, three, six, and six and nine are all multiples of three. And so you, you get that element of it. But I, I love that you had pointed out that um, even something being 201. So what you do is you add those numbers up, guys, and that gives you three, right? And so everything can be reduced down to a to a number, right? And uh, even multiple numbers. So you just add them up and then you add those and you add those and then they end up being three. And so it's interesting that it was so significant that all of the things along your journey took you to a number that is not only 
biologically and uh, geometrically important, but also you recognize the importance of it for you personally. I think that that's very, very cool, man. Uh, well, congratulations. So I'm just curious. So Canada, it doesn't work like the United States. People will come here illegally to get married and stay. But I guess you can't get married and go up there. They have a different rule about it. Yeah, it's changed since the good old days, you know, because a lot of my friends at home were thinking, you know, what? I thought you just moved to Canada, got married, and you're in. Well, no. I worked, in the, about it. I worked in the 60s and early 70s, you know, but uh, not now. It's not so no easy. No asylum for you, American. Okay. Right. Dirty yeah, American. I think they had enough of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I, I definitely want to talk about the music that you make now and what, and what you're doing. Uh, so, also... Uh, I don't know, because you have this on your um, Instagram there, but you have the coolest business card ever. Sound healing, medicine music, cosmic throat singer, and sonic alchemist. How dope is that? I just want a shirt that says sonic alchemist. That's that's pretty cool, man. Uh, so what? whenever all of these things lined up and you were finally doing this, what what are you doing now with your music is what I want to talk about, if you don't mind. Well, I'm just about to release my third album <laughs> why the hell not that's perfect divine timing man this is perfect yeah yeah so do you know, uh, yeah do you know what this isn't this isn't gonna come out today but uh do you know what today is today's april 3rd oh my god son of a bitch i know now the, the this doesn't release on april 3rd but we're still gonna tell talk about that that's when we're recording this and we set this up what a week two weeks ago a couple weeks back anyway pretty cool yeah. man pretty damn cool i like it it's meant to be brother all right so now with your music and your third album which uh, we're going to play a track from at the end of this recording so you guys stick around for that and of course everything will be linked in the show notes as far as how to find him his other records uh your music on soundcloud and your instagram because i want folks to go out and support you and follow up so what do you do with your music now well pre-covid i was doing a lot of live events and uh that's how you and I got connected. Um, you know, I, I played, uh, a variety of venues, everything from yurts and caves to churches, yoga studios. Um, I did nine shows in the Vancouver planetarium back in 25, uh, 2015 and 2016, uh, as part of a multimedia presentation on sacred geometry and, um, yeah, everything in between. I, I'm, you know, always looking for an audience to share the music with. And uh, it's, it's brought me down the coast, uh, the West Coast of the U.S., um, around British, Western Canada, I should say, um, uh, the Pacific Northwest. I uh, have played out in New York and Connecticut. And uh, in 2018 and 2019, I played in France. In 2019, I played in Belgium as well. Uh, it has been an amazing journey and, uh, really grateful for that. Uh, it's something so priceless to me to be able to share with people in a live setting. And, uh, so on one of my journeys to Colorado, I was introduced to some folks that are friends of Ellis and, uh, they brought me to Texas in, uh, again, in 2019 or was it 28, it was, uh, summer of 2019. And uh, I played, I played in medicine ceremonies, uh, plant medicine ceremonies, and uh, breath work, and you know the the music supports all these expansive practices, anything related to meditation, or in, uh, to help people center. You know, I played for schools where people were, you know, kids weren't 
experienced in meditation, not even, you know, didn't know really what it was, but they responded to the music and caught some really good uh, reactions to it. And um, so, yeah, so these folks brought me to Texas and played in Austin and also for a, a medicine ceremony outside of San Antonio. Ellis brought me back to Austin to play in uh, November of 2019. And uh, that was really an honor that he went out of his way to just sponsor me to come down. And uh, I was able to uh, bring in the, the percussionist who plays with me on my third album, Gilly Gonzalez, who lives in Denver, Colorado. Gilly's my guy for percussion. He's like so talented in such a way. Um, you know, he's a, a world drummer, plays all these ethnic drums, but he comes from a rock background like me. So there's that element as well. And he totally gets my vibe. And the way the elements that he brought to this third album, I couldn't be happier with. And he was available. So we brought him in to play a concert in uh, Austin. And Ellis made that happen. And, uh, you know, in the uh, last, I guess, a month or so ago, Ellis and I were talking. He was asking, you know, how can I support you? I said, well, you know, anyone who's got a podcast or a playlist on Spotify or anything, you know, hook me up. Let's, you know, and that's how you and I got connected. Um, so with all the restrictions on, uh, like, here in, in Vancouver right now, they're not even allowing public singing in an enclosed space. Um, so I can't, I'm not doing that right now. So I'm, I'm doing, uh, live concerts on zoom, um, which is an adjustment, but you know, the feedback I'm getting is really the same level that people would reflect back to me at live events. Um, I'll tell you, as soon as I'm able to, uh, play live again, I'm going to do that. But I've also, you know, over the years realized there's only one of me and there's a lot of people out there in the world. I can't spend the rest of my life on tour. I'm not getting any younger. Damn it. <laughs> I feel like I'm 17, but uh, the calendar tells me otherwise. Uh, yeah. And uh, anyway, so I had been intending to um, do more of an online presence and connect with people through the internet uh, that way. And uh, so, yeah, I'm focusing on building a new online platform to um, showcase and, and share the music and with guided meditations as well of uh, coming coming full circle with guided meditations and it's a natural fit for me since that's what brought me back into music um, i'm in the process of recording some meditations to go with my music in the as support and will help people get a deeper experience out of the music and um, so I'll be offering that. It's all going to be on my website, matthewcosell.com. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm giving people, uh, I know you'll link this later, but um, I have a site called matthewmusic.net. And there's two T's in Matthew, in case anyone's wondering, uh, matthewmusic.net. And if you go there um, and sign up, I'll send you three days of healing music. And... Uh, now that the new album's coming out, I'm going to tack that on. It'll be four days of healing music. I'm going to put in the uh, Song of the Ancients, which is the title track of this uh, new album. That is so cool. That's the one we're going to play at the end of this uh, show for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible, man. I, I love your music. I love you. I think you are great. You're a lot of fun. You're an awesome, awesome dude. Get out of here with that. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Well, reflex. You know, it's, it's interesting as well with the... Um, 
with Ellis is because he is one of those guys, I don't know if he told you, but I knew him under a different name a long time ago, and uh, he used to play bass with me, because um, I was a bit of a musician as well for a little while, and uh, that's how we met. And then he's one of those dudes that will vanish off the face of the earth for about five to seven years, and then all of a sudden calls you out of the blue. Luckily with the same number, or he'll text you, hey, this is Ellis, you know, and I changed my number, and then we just call and pick right back up, uh, like we hadn't talked, like we hadn't missed any time at all. And he did this recently, and that's right about the time I was just gearing up with this new show. I had a show before this, that was the, how I described it, that's the caterpillar, this is the butterfly, so this is a totally different deal. Uh, and so I was just, I ramped it back up, he reached out, I think he was seeing the stuff that I was putting out, and then that's how we reconnected, and I just told him, man, this is great. You know, it's so good to talk to you. And he told me about Peru and stuff, which I want to ask you about as well. And then um, he said uh, that he is going to be doing something in Colorado pretty soon with uh, plant medicine ceremonies and a, and a place to do that. They're building like yurt and cabins and all that kind of stuff. And when he moves up there, he's actually going to come up and be in studio. So while he's here, he'll be here for the weekend or whatever. We'll definitely zoom you, man, and just say hi and see how you're doing. So that'll awesome. be cool to reconnect him. I haven't seen him in say 12 15 years probably but wow it's just one of those things and maybe talk to him three or four times but lately we've been talking a little bit more anyhow so it's very cool how the how this works man and once you do get in that soul tribe you get a new soul tribe going and then old soul tribe people they don't leave because it's a soul tribe man you know this is how this works no matter what time or distance or anything like that you always reconnect with the ones that you're meant to and i think that that's wonderful so um tell me tell me about your experience with peru man well uh, my first year, having been landed in Canada and as a legit resident here. Congratulations. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, I was invited to play for a private healing, a group healing session um, with a uh, healer from Hawaii. It's actually a Filipino lady, but she was had been living in Hawaii for many years. And um, she would lead a guided meditation and run energy for the group at the same time. And uh, this person had told her about me. Uh, she told me later that she tuned into me and said, yeah, I can work with Matthew. So go ahead and invite him. So she was going on faith and intuition as well. And as, as was I. So I showed up with my instruments. And while Maxima is her name, she led this healing meditation. I played my music. And, and uh, one of the people that was there that night with his partner was... Um, Jamie Alvarez Acosta, who is from Cusco, Peru. Jamie's real deal. Now, in, in Espanol, they would pronounce his name Jaime, but he, I guess because he comes to North America so much, you know, I decided to let people just call him Jamie to keep the confusion, minimize confusion. But anyway, uh, so I, got, uh, I call him Jamie. Um, after the circle was complete, you know, people are socializing and stuff, and he caught my eye and he says, come here, come here, brother, come here. Pulled me aside and says, the masters I work with say you need to come to Peru. What an opening line, man. Right. <laughs> awesome. You what do you say go. to that? You got to go. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, is that you up there? <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. And he says, look, sound opens the doorways in these temples. I mean, he's like totally dead on serious. Sound opens the doorways in these temples. And uh, you have the key. Come to Peru. I'll take you to the temples. You can stay in there and, you know, just come. Well, I didn't have the means to just jump on an airplane and, and go. So uh, he, Jamie, his partner is uh, Canadian. And 
uh, just in the last few years, he was, uh, ended up moving here. Uh, they now have a child. Um, but anyway, he, yeah, he was making uh, um, several trips to this area um, each year. And uh, we started working together when he was coming here. And uh, in, in the, he had many events, but we would do a special event where uh, he would set up a, uh, an altar, do opening prayers and um, ceremony, and I would play my music while he would circulate around the room, running energy for the group and also with individuals in the group. And so we developed a really nice relationship that way. And in uh, as 2013, and, and Jamie also, he was um, leading sacred journeys to Peru, taking people on pilgrimages to many powerful sacred sites throughout Peru. Um, you know, you could probably spend a lifetime just exploring in that one country, all these significant places. And he invited me to come as a co-facilitator. So that was my ticket. And I brought my instruments with me to Peru. And um, yeah, got to play and, and sing in some of these temples, not all of them, you know, but where it was possible and in ceremony. Um, one night on our way to Lake Titicaca, uh, we camped out in a high desert valley and we had arrived at night. He had some advanced guys set up a camp campsite for us, tents and everything was just right waiting for us. We had a little bit of broth and we uh, then went to a, had a campfire and I set up my instruments by the fire and we stayed up through the night in ceremony. I was singing and chanting and uh, Jamie would... Uh, share his wisdom teachings and prayers in between some of my music a few other people shared songs and we were up literally till the just before dawn and uh, i managed to get a little bit of sleep just before the sun came over the ridge and hit my tent and then turned the tent into an oven <laughs> so it's time to get up <laughs> and uh interestingly i was standing outside my tent doing a little morning practice and I'd been looking for a uh, talking stick. Gosh, I left it downstairs. But um, <clears throat> I've been looking for a, a special talking stick that I could carry with me because I like to uh, pass around a talking stick after my circles and let people share from their experience if they were inspired to do so. And uh, there was this twisted little piece of wood. It's from a shrub that was struck by lightning. I knew that's the one, you know. I sure enough, picked it up and there was energy and like, yeah. Okay, you're coming with me. Awesome. Well, since that day, a couple thousand people probably have held that um, stick and, and circles, and from you know L.A. to Brussels and, and France, you know. Um, but anyway, um, that morning uh, we were walking through this valley and seeing these amazing rock formations for the first time because it was nighttime when we arrived. And Jamie showed me, he says, look over there, brother, there's tombs underneath those rocks where the ancestors are resting. Totally undisturbed, you know, and this was not a public place where there's like a park and, you know, it was being tended to. It's just like, just off the mainstream path. And it's, these tombs have been left alone. We didn't go disturb them or anything. But it's, right after he showed me that, I started hear, hearing this melody in my head, like voices singing a melody. <clears throat> Ooh, 
And it kept repeating over and over again. And so I'm paying attention, you know, and started to hum along. And it just kept going, kept going, kept going. And I was hearing like thunder drums. Boom. And like, okay. So I started to sing it out loud and I started to sing it for our, our companions on this journey. And, and I pulled Jamie aside, Jamie, I've just given a song. I sing it to him. He said, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. I tried to record it. I had a little iPod with me. Okay, I got to preserve this and make sure I can, you know, sing it later. So I tried to record on my iPod. I thought I did, but it didn't record. <clears throat> later that day, I could not remember the melody. Like, no, no, you know, and it's not on my iPod. I'm like, no, please, please, okay, I promise, you know, I'll, I'll respect this, the music. Uh, I will, and I will share it. And I just prayed. And uh, next day, still couldn't remember it. <clears throat> um, but that following night, just before I went to bed, and at this time we were in, um, I think it's called Puno, just outside of Lake Titicaca, or on the shore of Lake Titicaca. But it's just going to bed, and all of a sudden, ooh, I could hear it. Ah! And I had a real handheld digital recorder, and uh, so I recorded it on that. And uh, that's the melody for the song, Song of the Ancients. And yes. that's why the album is, has that title. Um, yeah, so it was obviously quite a magical time being in Peru and visiting these incredible portals, you know, where they built temples. And, uh, you know, what an honor, first of all, just to be invited there by someone like Jamie is the real deal and to be invited to share my music and uh, chanting there. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm still maybe still processing everything that came to me. Um, <clears throat> at the end of the very last song on the album, uh, there's a recording of the jungle where we spent our last uh, last portion of the journey. Most of our time was in the highlands of, of Peru, uh, the Andean tradition, but we did go have five days in the Amazon basin before leaving Peru. And uh, <clears throat> on one of the last days there, uh, the sound of the jungle as the insects and birds are waking up is just incredible. So I took my handheld recorder and set it outside my hut and just let it run for a good 10 minutes or so. And uh, so Pachamama gets the last song on, on this new album. That's so cool. And, yeah. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's nice the respect that you have for it because you are willing to receive things like that you are more in tune to what's going on with with the nature of these things and damn near anybody i've ever met man for sure so it's just refreshing to hear that you're so in touch with the ways of the ancients or you're so in touch with nature in that way you respect the culture and that's why those tombs were left undisturbed there's just a different respect and reverence for that culture uh and and peru is like it's on my bucket list man we got to go check that out so i want to machu picchu Cusco go all that i want to go see it man so uh you're saying i've got a hookup for peru is what you're telling me yeah oh it's dope all right well we'll go and i can't wait that'll be that'll be a lot of fun man you only if you go with me dude that'll be fun okay cool um well matthew i uh, i think we're gonna cap it here man but i want to have you back on dude um we're definitely gonna play your song at the end here was there any uh final thoughts or words or anything that you had for anybody out here yeah, well, um, I'm really excited to share this new album, Song of the Ancients. It's uh, 
and the first two are, are the first two albums are definitely medicine and a lot of people have um, shared their experience of um, transformation and healing or insight that's come to them just while listening to the albums um, but uh, Song of the Ancients uh, as soon as I launch it I'm going to do a special thing to help people um, share it and um, so I'm going to have a a deal where it's it's only like nine bucks and there'll be some bonus tracks in addition to the hour-long album and a guided meditation to help you go deeper with the music and if you purchase that for nine bucks there's gonna be an invitation to be an affiliate and um, or an ambassador and you'll be given a special link and anyone you share that link with if they purchase this package you get the money none of it comes to me yeah now people might think well is that what's the trick you know what's the catch no catch you just get all the money there will be um you know on the order page once that's made there can be add-ons i'm going to offer my other two albums at it for like five bucks and so that that'll come to me and my system will fulfill the order so um, that's how i benefit because i'll get uh, someone on my email list that i can start a relationship with and share more music and videos with um but you can check out the videos I've done so far on YouTube. Just look at my name, Matthew Cosell, on YouTube. And um, anyway, so I think it's really important to be generous and to share abundance with the healing music. And uh, I th can't think of a better way to uh, incentivize people to share it. And, uh, you know, everyone wins, you know, because it's spreading healing sound and music and abundance at the same time. So cool. So, yeah, I'm really this came to me like a couple of weeks ago that this is how I'm going to do it. And, That's brilliant. Uh, I mean, what in the pay it forward is going on here. I think that is so cool, man. I think that is yeah. so cool. I love it, brother. And yes, yeah, so I will be linking to that, your YouTube, your website and your music website.net as well. Um, Matthew cannot thank you enough, dude. This has been an absolute pleasure, man. We are definitely going to have to do this again. And your soul tribe, I just keep scooping you guys up. It's great. And we just keep finding each other out here, man. And it's really refreshing. I'm so grateful. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank and just you. for anyone out there, um, if you know anyone else with a podcast you could hook me up with or um, playlists on Spotify, you know, you can playlist my music. It's a big help. Um, yeah, but let's connect. Absolutely. And I'll pass your name on to a couple of folks as well because I'm in that cycle. So, yeah, well, I'll pass you along, man. I think you're great. You're a wonderful guest and you're a wonderful person anyway. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to talk to you. <laughs> and you have some dope message. So thank you so much, man. Honestly, it's been a, it's been a true honor. Thank you. For me as well. Thank you, Brandon. A tremendous thanks to Matthew Cosell for joining us on the show today. He is absolutely incredible. I loved hearing his journey through his music and especially what he's doing now. That is so cool how he got to where he is making this amazing music that he does. So stick around, guys, because his song, Song of the Ancients, is going to follow this right away. And it'll play it in its full version because uh, he gave me permission to do that. So you guys, um, close your eyes. Enjoy this music. He is absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you would like to find us, the show here, we actually just launched our website. So it is going to be um, expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where you can find the links to the Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon as well. So if you guys feel like you get something out of this show, you feel like you want to show a little love to your boy here and uh, contribute a little bit to that, you can do so with the link on expandingrealitypodcast.com to Patreon or just go down here in the bottom of the show notes. I've uh, linked the Patreon directly as well as the website. So you guys go check that out. 
thanks again for listening, guys. You guys are uh, very special to me, and uh, y'all make this worth doing. And I uh, just wanted to say that, uh, you know, do something nice for somebody else, guys. Buy a meal uh, for some stranger that you don't know. Uh, pick up a piece of litter if you see it on the ground. This is our planet, too. Uh, pet a strange dog, because uh, dogs are awesome. That's more for you than anything, but the dog will probably like it, too. Uh, as well as get out of the left-hand lane. You guys know how annoying that is. Uh, if you don't know how annoying that is, and I'm just telling you this for the first time, uh, then surround yourself with better group of friends, because I should have told you this by now. Uh, get out of that left-hand lane. Uh, it's for passing only. Thank you. Uh, as well as um, you guys just go out into the world and just in general, you know, like always, just be good to one another. We'll see you next time.